welcome to Oaken Bros. This is Eric. I'm Michael. And if you want to learn about the secrets of the universe, the law of attraction, mysticism, brohood, gambling, movies, pop culture, writing, books, archangels, magic, good food, business, health, family, and mediumship, smash that subscribe button, hit the thumbs up, press the noti icon, and spread this video around like cream cheese on a New York bagel. <laughs> So today we have on John Levin, award-winning producer, agent, and Hollywood insider. He packaged such films as The Karate Kid, Shrek, Where the Wild Things Are, and Hook, just to name a few. He also currently represents my bro, Michael Oaken's writing career. One question. Well, first of all, thank you for coming on, John. Pleasure. Uh, my first question when I was you know, just doing a little bit of research on you, Karate Kid is my all-time favorite movie. With Cobra oh, Kai. This is the second Karate Kid. This is not... This is not uh... This is not the Scott Bayo Karate Kid. This is this is the, the Ralph uh, Macchio, the Will Smith, Jaden Smith Karate Kid. Really? Oh, that's that's a great yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. So with Cobra Kai out right now, yep. how did how did that version of Karate Kid become born? Well, this um, one of the things I did when I was at CAA was I was kind of the idea guy, and uh, I would look through lists of movies that might be rethought. And I had just read, I put together a list of things and Karate Kid was on that list. And I read an interview that um, Will Smith said his son, uh, Jaden was a black belt karate expert. And I said, hmm. light went off, you know, Will Smith, big client at CAA, I was on the Will Smith team. And I went to Will and I said, okay, here it is. Jaden is the new Karate Kid. Oh my God. And that was your idea, right? Well, that was my idea. And then it was set, uh, the idea was to set it in China. That was the idea of uh, Will's company and um, Ken Stovitz, who was running Will's company at that time. And, uh, and the idea was always with the, uh, with, with this uh, in the back of my mind that Jackie Chan would be, you know, the great right. sensei. I read this book. It's one of my favorite, top 10 favorite books of all time. It's called Powerhouse, the, C oh. the Untold Story of Hollywood's Creative Artist Agency. Your name is in here. I was spelled J-O-H-N. That's definitely you, right, John? That is, that is me. That is you. If there's a time period that I had a time machine, a DeLorean, that I could travel back to the future and be a part of history, it would be in the early 80s at CAA. When did you get to CAA? How did you get to CAA? Uh. like? Well, I'm, uh, I, I got to see a kind of in a little bit of a circuitous way. Um, I went to law school. Um, I'd want to go to film school. My parents said, no, you're going to law school. And uh, I went to SC because I could take film classes and USC. And um, when I was studying for the bar, I, I sat next to a guy while I studied. And, um, you know, you, you have a conversation and... Uh, He's just before the bar exam, we said, well, we'll get together. We'll have a drink after it's all over. And we did. And he told me that uh, I, that there was a job at a new agency called creative artist agency. And this was back in 19 summer 78. The year I was born. And, and I was supposed to go to Japan for a year for a teaching fellowship. I had decided not to, to take the bar exam. And, uh, so it was all these circumstances happened to be sitting at a very strange place, studying for the bar exam, going out for a drink with a guy who I'd never didn't really know. And he's told me that his brother-in-law told him about a new agency that, that had just started up. 
1975. So it was only about two and a half years in. And so I somehow conned my way into calling the head of business affairs there, Ray Kurtzman. I had no experience. I just was out of law school. I'd had a couple of summer jobs and I got in there and I sat down and Ray looks at me and he says, and this was, CA was only one hallway. That was how small it was. And um, Ray asked, said to me, well, what do you want to do 10 years down the road? And I said, well, he, and he said, I don't want to hear that you want to be a, an agent because I don't want to hire a lawyer who wants to be an agent. So I said, well, Mr. Kurtzman, you have to worry about that. I want to be a producer. And he looked at me like I shat the bed and he got up and he took a beeline out of the office. He didn't even say goodbye. And I sitting there and going, well, what did I say? And I chased him down the hall and we only had a hallway. And uh, I said, Mr. Kirsten, Mr. Kirsten, what did I say? What did I say? He said, I, I said, I didn't want a lawyer who wants to be, an agent. And I said, I didn't say agent. I want to be a producer. He says, I want a lawyer who wants to be a lawyer. <laughs> Over. <laughs> and I went, oh my God, what am I doing? So he's pressing the button on the, the, the elevator. We're on the 14th floor. And I said, Mr. Christian, you got to give me a look, just a couple minutes more. And somehow I literally gave him, you've heard the phrase, an elevator pitch. Oh, yeah. I gave him the elevator pitch of my life. Really? I somehow between the 14th floor and the lobby, I convinced him to give me a little bit more time and I got him in my car to take him to his meeting. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I just kept uh, talking, 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 talking. And um, all I could do is just say who I was and why I love the law, love movies and do anything. And this is when CA was literally it was a spit, a little tiny yep. sprout of a of an agency. It was a big thing to get a an actor, you know, on a TV series, and and we didn't really package then. And oh, I don't know. So somehow I I I convinced him to give me a little extra time in the car. And uh, about he calls me up and he um, and he tells me that. Uh, I didn't get the job hmm. and uh, I'm kind of crushed, but I, I pick myself up. I get a job around Jan. This is, this is in the summertime and I get a job and I'm not happy. And one day about eight months later, after that interview, he calls me up and he says, I remember that you, that you got me in that car. You kept talking. And I remembered that, that spirit that you had. Mm -hmm. Right. And he said, I want you to come in on Monday. And I told him I had a job, wasn't happy. He said, come in on Monday and uh, I want to hire you. There's one other guy who's got to meet you. And I came in that Monday and I got the job. And ironically that this was, you know, 40 or plus years ago, the, the guy who was interviewing me, the other guy was also a lawyer and he's still at CA. He's one of the last, you know, of my, you know, tenured people at CAA. So I, I started there at CAA in business affairs. I did it for 10 years. Within a couple of days of my being there, that other lawyer became an agent and suddenly it was only myself and Ray Kurtzman is the business affairs people. Really? 
So uh, I segued into becoming a, um, an agent about 10 years in and then became a packaging agent. I became the idea guy. So it went to, so going back to, to, um, to the idea of, um, you know, packaging and thinking of ideas. I came up with this, I, you know, I would be the guy who would look for old scripts and look for a movie that had, that, that was right to be remade or would think about two actors who should be working together. So you were an overnight success. How did you transition from being an attorney to an agent? I, uh, well, we had a group internally that was kind of a brainstorming group. And it got out there in the community that I did that. And there was a producer by the name of Scott Rudin, a legendary producer. He was running Fox, 20th Century Fox at the time. And he, we became friends and, um, and he offered me a job and he, cause he knew that I was this lawyer doing this strange thing in this group. I had put together an idea for Paul Newman with Sidney Pollack and, and it was a kind of a big deal, historical, uh, epic story. And he just heard I was doing things with Dustin Hoffman and Sean Connery and I was just a lawyer. And so he called me up and he said, I want to hire you to be uh, an executive. And I went to Mike Ovitz and Mike didn't really like Scott. And, and uh, he's, Mike said, I'm not going to let you go. And he made me an agent. So I just had had a, just had gotten married a little while before. I just bought a house, had a kid. And I went to my wife and I said, some good news and some bad news. You know, the, the good news is uh, I'm going to be an agent. And the bad news is. Uh, my salary got cut. <laughs> didn't go, didn't go, go over really well. So uh, anyhow, within a couple of years, Mike, you know, realized uh, that I was, you know, a lot more than just another guy at the agency. And he, in the most generous kind of a way, he said, I want you to be the idea guy. And so he, he said, I'm going to, I, I want you to go away one weekend a month and I'm going to give you a prompt on Thursday or Friday and I'm going to pay for the whole thing. You're going to take your wife, your kid away and you, I'm going to give you one thing to think about and I want you to kind of meditate on that one thing. And it might be an actor, a combination of actors, it might be a director, it might just be a script. I want you to meditate on it and come back on Monday. We'll see what you have. So, so that's how hook happened because he came to me and he said, Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams want to work together. What do you got? So, so you I came up with the idea behind hook and then you just I, put no, all the pieces. A client of mine, uh, Jim Hart is a longtime client of mine, lives in New York. He might be listening. Who knows? Uh, he, it came from, the eye uh, from a prompt that his son gave him said, daddy, did Peter Pan ever grow up? Hmm. And that became the idea of hook. Our father was on the set of hook. Okay. Um, you know, cause obviously we would deal with Hollywood with our car service and whatnot. And he went to go to the lot, you know, to go, you know, to go, uh, go see clients and whatnot. And he said that he walked on, they brought him onto the set of hook and the tree was so massive he couldn't believe how large that tree was on the set of hook so i think that's pretty cool um i have a question for you you said you're an idea man what idea did you have 
and you came so close, but it never quite happened where you're like, how did this never happen? Or like you were disappointed or it turned into something else. What was that? Or did well, that, that happen a lot? I'll, I'll give you, uh, um, I will give you a story of the, the most heartbreaking thing that never happened. Um, and then I'll give you a story of something that did happen that was, came out of, you know, a strange place. So the thing that, that, um, that never happened was, um, somebody brought me a script, an old time agent brought me a script of Don Quixote. And one of the great books of all time. And it was one of the great unproduced scripts of all time. And it was written by the great Waldo Salt. And Waldo Salt was a blacklisted writer. And in fact, he had written this script under the table for this producer who had been an agent and became a producer and he had written it in the early 60s. And it was a script that almost was made a hundred times. It was almost made with, um, oh gosh, with uh, Richard Burton almost did it. And uh, I mean, it was, it was, it, there's, there's a book apparently being written about this. And I got this script from this old time producer and on his deathbed, he said, you have to promise to get this thing made. And that's, you know, you have to take those kind of promises. And I promised. And so I went to Robin Williams and I got Robin Williams to play Sancho Panza. That's amazing. Wow. And then I went to, I was working with John Cleese and I got John Cleese to play Don Quixote. And Waldo Salt, just to give you a little context, had written Midnight Cowboy, which is a great wow. buddy. It, it's in a weird way to buddy comedy. I'm going to say buddy comedy. And Don Quixote, even though it is a very dark picture in many ways, is the ultimate buddy road comedy, right? Yeah. yeah. So we had, we got Mike Medavoy, who was running um, his own company at the time. He was actually running TriStar at the time. He was going to finance it and he put a director on board. Uh, and we're not, we'll not tell you the name of the director, but he put this director on board and the director rewrote the script. And we were just about to go into production and the script was horrible. The rewrite was horrible. It took really? everything out of it. And the script never, the movie never happened. And it's been one of those heartbreaking things that I will just keep working on it to the day I die. So you're still working on it. I'm still working on it. I'm Unbelievable. Still on it. Eric and I saw Don Quixote with Raul Julia on Broadway. Our mother used to take us every Wednesday during the summertime to see a Broadway show. And we saw uh, Raul Julia uh, on, with Don Quixote. It was I, I, I remember I that. I remember it today. Yeah, I, was, I was eight years old. Yeah. I will get it. I will get that. Will be one of the things I get made. And then, and then over the course of time, you know, there's been the Terry Gilliam, Don Quixote, and this one, this, so I, you know, you, you wonder, well, will this ever be done? So I've come up with ideas to take this story and to take it, to put it into space, to Don Quixote in space, to take it during uh, Franco Germany, to take it during fascistic um, Sicily, to put it in uh, Argentina during the Peron times, you know, I've, I've been, I'm, I'm consistently trying to spin this thing, but, um, so I, um, anyhow, so I 
that's that's the story of that. Um, when my wife was pregnant with our first uh, child, I had to go to the set of a movie and it was out, out of LA and I had been delaying it, delaying, delaying it, but it was my first, one of my first really big movies I put together called Article 99. It, it was Kiefer Sutherland and Ray Liotta and- um, A couple of no names. A host, host of, of folks and, and uh, Howie Deutsch was directing it and I, I was so proud I put this thing together. And uh, it was in Kansas City. And my, my wife is about eight months pregnant and she looks at me and says, what do you, what do you mean you're, you're going to the set? I said, well, you know, I'm going to the set because I put this movie together and I have to do it. It's my job as an agent. She said, you're crazy. I'm going to, I'm going to have a baby. You're going to be, you're going to be here. I'm going to say, no, 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 no. It's just a couple hours away. I get on the plane. I'll come back. Don't worry about it. So in the middle, of course, in the middle of the night, as I am there, uh, they come down to the set and they say, uh, Mr. Levin, uh, there's a phone call at your wife. She's in labor. I'm going, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. So I call her up and I'm trying to get on a plane. It's the middle of the night. There's not planes. And by the time I do get ready to get on the plane, it's Braxton Hicks, you know, it's, it's false contractions. I do get on the plane and I come home and on my way, from the, you know, from Kansas City back to LA, I come up with an idea that it, that is planes, trains, and automobiles, which I love that movie, with a guy who has gone on a business trip, his wife is pregnant, and he has to get home. So I keep this idea in my head for a while, a long time. And I'm having lunch with uh, a producer client at well, years later, many years later. This is a lot maybe, of years later. Maybe 20 years later, right. 15 years later. It's unbelievable. And I pitch him this idea. And he says, that's amazing, okay? And he is and then pretty rapidly, he goes from being a producer, he becomes an executive at Warner Brothers, and he pitches it to... Warner Brothers, and he pitches it to Robert Downey. And he comes up, he is, he, he's taken this idea and he's come up with a great title because sometimes titles are everything and it's due date. Yep. Unbelievable. And it's put together with Zach Galifianakis and Robert Downey and Todd Phillips and... John, I have a question. What does it take to package? I mean, I, I have a hard time getting my kids to the dinner table. Right. Like it's like, all right, guys, you know, daddy made chicken. Come on, let's eat together. How do you get an actor, an actress, a producer, a director? How, how is that possible? Well, I mean, it sometimes is the most impossible thing. And to go back to Hook for a second, it's because there's a good story on, around Hook. And uh, and uh, I'll tell this story and I could get fired if I was still at CAA. I could get fired for what I did. Um, so but it's a good example of just. How you how you can, in the best of circumstances, package something. So I, um, I I worked on Dustin Hoffman's team and I worked on Robin Williams' team. The, the, the great thing about CAA was that you were on a team of people. You know, it was I was a lit agent and it wasn't per se a talent agent, but you know they put me on teams because I 
and they still do, you know, because you have ideas on scripts come in, you think about whether the scripts are coming in or around that, that might be right for an actor. So it was, I knew that Dustin and Robin wanted to do this picture together. So I, the script finally comes in and, um, and there's another director on board and the, the eventual director was Steven Spielberg, but there was another director on board. And I went to read the script by great Jim Hart and uh, uh, read, read the script. And um, I said, this is it. This is the, the great idea. And uh, I went to Mike and Mike said, okay, well, you just put it together. So I, um, I fly up to San Francisco to see Robin. And I tell him, I said, I've got this amazing script. Dustin Hoffman wants to do it. Go hook. And, but it's really about, it's not about so much about hook. It's about Peter Pan growing up, becoming a corporate guy and then giving a chance to go back to Neverland and to find his true self. And um, so uh, I see, but you got to read overnight because Dustin um, uh, has, um, wants to do it and he wants you to do it, but you got to read it quickly. So uh, literally the next morning, uh, it's like six in the morning, Robin calls me up and uh, I'm at the hotel and he says, I'm in. I said, it's fantastic. It's great news. Great, great, great news. And then I hang up the phone. And I go, oh, I'm really fucked. I'm really screwed. Because <laughs> Dustin didn't know anything about the script. <laughs> so, uh, you know, again, I don't, I'm nervous about my job. Um, so I get on a plane. I go from San Francisco to New York. And I go and I meet with Dustin. I go to his office. And I said, I got some amazing news. I got this script. It's called Hook. It's all about how Hook is a guy who's afraid to grow up, it, you know, afraid to go get old. And it's about his confrontation with his old nemesis, you know, uh, Peter Pan, who has come back to basically reclaim Neverland. And then he read it and, and he said, I'm in. Now there was a problem that there was a director on board who wasn't the right director for it, but he happened to be the director on board. And I went back to Michael Lovitz and said, I said, okay, so what do we do now? He said, well, just let me handle it. And we didn't represent Steven Spielberg and he sent it to Steven. And that's how Steven became a client of CA. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, it is as easy and complicated as that. Did you, did you, you, you package Shrek. Was Chris Farley your choice to play Shrek? No, the original, uh, the, well, the original, yes, it wasn't my idea, but the original person was Chris Farley and the, the and there was a, a uh, an animation company involved through John Williams and John was a very entrepreneurial guy and he had found this, um, this, this terrific uh, script. Uh, it's just a book um, by William Steig and um, he got this, this new uh, animation company involved. And it was at a time when motion capture was just starting yeah. and they got Chris Farley. And I saw the amazing test that Chris Farley did. And um, then there was, uh, there became a bidding competition between uh, Harvey Weinstein and, um, and, and a new company called uh, DreamWorks Animation 
which had a little bit, it had, a, had, had this little um, animation arm you know, that was kind of starting it called PDI, Pacific Data Images. And it was at early, the earliest time of, um, you know, computer animation. And um, so uh, this little company was called Propellerhead and it was two guys. One was a cousin of my wife and another young writer, producer, uh, wannabe director named JJ Abrams. And uh, Jeffrey in his wisdom fired them. And even though they had done this amazing test with Chris Farley as uh, Shrek and, um, and I, but I do think that Eddie Murphy was always involved as donkey. Okay. Even in those days. Yeah. That's how, so how has, how has making movies changed from 30 years ago to right now? Is it any different or is it just who you know, what you know? Like no, no, no. how it, has it changed? It's, a, it's probably a little less loosey goosey. It was easier to set things up back in the day. Mm -hmm. There were, I would say there are a lot more places and fewer places at the same time to make movies. It's just, you got to find you, it all comes down to one thing and it's, you know, that the, there's that phrase content is king. It ultimately comes down to, it's gotta be a good idea, a script, an idea, a book, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is, a, pr pr a true life story. And then you gotta pay, take that thing and combine it with that actor or that director or that writer. Mm -hmm. And it always is a hit and miss thing. As Michael can tell you, you know, you write a book, and you got to find the right person to realize it there. You can go in a bookstore or a library and there are thousands of books on the shelf. Now a portion of those books have been made into TV series or films, but a lot more haven't. Now, sometimes it's just, you know, you're not going to turn something into a movie, but sometimes it just takes saying, okay, here's how you do it. And, do you and, find, and that's the magic of it all. Do you do do you find more books by yourself, or do you have more people saying you got to read this book? It all depends on the day, right? It, it depends on the year, the day, the minute. You know, right. Right. I, I, I'm usually someone who is something floats into my world, right? It may float in, and someone has said you got to read this, but it floats in. Mm -hmm. So with the advent of Michael, and I spoke about this and before we got on, we weren't sure if we were going to ask about social media, but it kind of all ties into it because like I'm trying to be a creator and Michael, you know, we have our show. And do you think that the new school of TikTok or YouTube or things like that are playing a bigger part in today's media landscape? Are you finding stars based on those types of platforms? Well, uh, yeah, I would absolutely say yes. Uh, so I was an executive producer on a um, uh, one of the first movies that was done for um, D Disney Plus. Um, it had been a book that was around for many, 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 many years, and many scripts. There were Paul Feig was going to it was going to be his first movie that he had adapted. It was done at Paramount, and then it just it went to Ivan Reitman's company for a while. And then it hit, it hit dry ice. It just, nothing happened. It spun around and just sat there. 
and I loved it. And I said, I have somebody who is a young, youngish writer, not a newish writer. She had been a producer for a long time. Mm-hmm. She was Jennifer Aniston's producing partner and she was looking to branch out a little bit more into writing and she had written a terrific script. And I went to the people who own the rights and I said, I have someone who will, who will, who's right for this thing. I said, well, we don't have any money for this. I said, I'll get her to spec it out, meaning that she'll do it for free. Right. And over a Christmas holiday, she went and she wrote the script and I brought it to them and they said, oh my God, this is great. And we immediately almost, we almost immediately got a director on board, um, uh, Catherine Hardwick. Mm-hmm. And then we couldn't, and we had actually put it together with two stars, a young kid named Charlie Plummer and an actress named Joey King. And we went around and we went around and we couldn't set it up. We had people that said, we're going to do it. And then they, their money dried up. Mm-hmm. We're going to do it. And then they turned out to be not who we thought they were. And I'd sent out Kristen's, uh, Kristen Hahn is the woman who wrote the script. I sent out her script and, and the movie is called Stargirl. And I had sent, had sent out the script as a writing sample and she got a job over at Disney. And one day I get a, a, a call from an executive there. We were just about to make the, the script at Netflix finally. And Disney called and said, hey, we've got this new place called Disney Plus. We think this is perfect. And and we set it up there. And strangely enough, in the in how everything is connected, the person who they wanted to direct it was Jim Hart's daughter. No kidding. Jim Hart Hook. And no and kidding. she was going to do a little bit of a rewrite on it. And she had an idea that there was an actress, singer, who had won America's Got Talent. And she had started out on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And she played the ukulele, and she kind of became a YouTube star with the ukulele, and then on America's Got Talent, and that's how she became a star. That's a, that's amazing. How do you how do you judge a screenplay when when you were reading it? Um, you know, and we're, we're jumping back to the CA days. You know, there was some were based on books, some were you know just speculative, right? Like what would what would you say, like, this has to get made? What Was there a story structure that you liked? Um, you know, was it the story? Was it the character development? I think it, I mean, I think it's a combination of everything. It's like a, um, it, it's a cocktail of things. I think first, it, word. I think first it's a story that that is compelling. And I think that it's a story that you want it, that has to be told. It's a character that you are excited about that you want everyone to, to fall in love with that character. Um, it's got to have a great voice, you know, that's an original voice. That's, that's, you, ha- you haven't heard that voice before. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's so many different things. And then it's something that is new. That isn't a retread of something else. Right. So there, from what I'm learning, there are no shortcuts in Hollywood. There are no shortcuts in life. Like you have to put in your time. You have to make your connections. What would you tell somebody who says, I want to do what John Levin does and I'm 22 years old and this is what I want to go do with my life. What would you tell them? Well, there, there is a, there is a very famous, uh, um, line, um, 
that um, it, it's it's been told in, in many different kind of spins, but the, the line is basically, how do you make uh, uh, $5 billion or 5 million, whatever you put the, the figure in, how do you make $5 billion in Hollywood? Start it with 10. I like okay. it. That, that, that if you have some money in your pocket, okay, you know, it's a little bit easier than if you're chasing, if you're chasing the next dollar, you know, mm -hmm. it, it also is, you know, it, it, um, it, it, someone has also described as a job as a producer. It's a great way to make a fortune, a horrible made, way to make a living. Um, <laughs> Cause you don't, uh, you don't make it until. No, you, you and by the way, you sometimes, and there, Today, there were the the Spirit Award um, uh, nominations came out. Mm -hmm. right. They're all in New York. There, there, there's a a another competition that's called the Gotham Awards, mm -hmm. and and they're they're the independent independently spirited movies. And some of them, there's a category that is the, the movies under five hundred thousand dollars. There is a category of the newcomers. So I would say that if you're a young producer, a new producer, you can be a young, you can be a new producer at age, you know, 60. Um, and I love that. You need one thing. You only need one thing to start. What is that thing, John? You need a good piece of material. Yeah. My father used to say, how do you write, you know, my, my father was a very wise man from a little town in Maine. So he wasn't in the movie business. He was in the, he was a dentist in Connecticut. And he, he, he had these, you know, I'm going to say aphorisms. One of them was, how do you run a race? How do you run a marathon? One step at a time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he, and, and the first step is get a good piece of material. Mm-hmm. So how do you get a good piece of material? Where, where you know, you're, you know, where am I going to find a good piece of material? People say, well, there are writing competitions. That's the first thing, and there are many, many, many writing competitions. There's the Nichols, which is by the Academy. There is the um, Blacklist. You know, there is um, oh, Austin Film Festival. There are film festivals all over the place. Mm -hmm. uh, and the idea is that you find somebody who has got a great voice. So to tie it into Michael, so I signed a guy who won the Nichols with a brilliant script and Michael had a book and the book was just sitting there. Shameless Back. plug, shameless plug for Monsterland. Monsterland. And uh, this fantastic writer uh, um, who kind of immediately uh, after winning the, the Nichols, um, his Script was was optioned by um, uh, producer Bill Mechanic, who was had been head of ran Fox for a long 20th Century Fox for a long time, and did um, uh, you know has been nominated for Academy Awards. For, he he found that script. He said, "I want to do that movie," and then I took that script and I said, "Okay." So I made the deal for for Walker, and then while he was still writing that script, I you know I read Michael's book uh, Monsterland. I said, "Okay." Michael, this is your writer for this. That's exactly how it went. Because he was younger, he was 
going to do it for not, you know, gazillion dollars because I thought you can make a gazillion dollars when it's made. Absolutely. And so it's like, it's it sounds like the beginning. It sounds like the beginning of a of a great Hollywood story. Yeah, it so really, it's it's finding somebody who has a great voice, and I like finding people who have great new voices. I've got a number of clients who who just you know who I read the script and I said, oh my god, I'll take a shot. I'll take a chance on on the future with this great voice. That's amazing. I want to just I want to just say that it's it's official that you know Walker McKnight is has. Uh, been assigned to write Monsterland and turn it into a blockbuster movie, and it was all facilitated through John. And um, you're you're an angel. Right. Now <laughs> the challenge. Okay, now so we'll we'll talk about kind of plunked down into 2010, 2011, and yeah, oh my God, you know what what the hell is happening? We're all in our little um, bubbles, our space yeah. stations. Uh, we're all in separate orbiting yurts, you know, and, and how does the movie business work when we used to get up and go to a meeting, you know, right. you know, had lunch, um, had a breakfast, had a lunch, breakfast, drinks, dinner, you know, I mean, after dinner drinks, you know, we went to premieres, went to film festivals, all that kind of stuff. So what has been the effect of the pandemic on finding things. Well, the thing you need to find something is you've got to one, read it. Okay. That's the first thing. You're not going to, you're not going to get anything unless you read it. Mm -hmm. And if you're smart and you read it and you have notes, then people trust you. And, and if you have too many notes, maybe they don't trust you so much because, uh, but you got to have enough of a point of view on why something is great and what you're going to do with it. So, you got to find a piece of material and it is, you know, the amazing thing about life. And here we are online is you go online, you find scripts, right? You find scripts that haven't been done yet. Right. The blacklist has been around for a while. Nichols fellowship has been around for a while. Not everything that's been on the list that's been vetted, pre vetted mm -hmm. has been picked up. Um, so it's a matter of saying, uh, I believe in this. And I want to run with it. And then it's a matter of, as you said, packaging. Well, uh, how do you package? Well, one of the hardest things about packaging is having access. Right. You know, how do you get, okay, you, you have a script. You love it. It's clear that it has two great roles in it and it could be a great for a director. Mm -hmm. so you're, you're a producer in, on Long Island. Where sure. are you guys Long Island. Long Island. North Shore of Long Island. Okay. So you're in the North Shore of Long Island. Okay. You don't know anybody. You you not you do not know a soul. Mm -hmm. But somehow you you have convinced your writer that you are the right person to run around with that script. Right. Right. But you don't run and you do not know a soul. So the question is, what do you do? Now, you can't just pick up the phone and say, I've got a script. So it's a matter of being uh, dogged about it. And it's a matter of um, finding somebody on the inside to help you open the door. Mm -hmm. yep. And, and that takes a lot. So it might be that you, you gotta go find a friend that's 
has a connection, an uncle, an aunt, you know, and it's being relentless, but it's also being smart about it. It's saying here is, I have, I've got a movie and I think it is right for this person. And somehow you've got to this be without being nudgy and without being bootsy, without being overbearing, you've got to find somebody inside of some place that is going to let you inside. Now, sometimes it's having an attorney that helps you out. And that's a big thing. The way I met Michael was I met him through an attorney, a woman I went to law school with a hundred years ago. I would like to just really mention real briefly. Um, I was reading a book and it was called how to sell a screenplay in Hollywood. And it had, and they were talking about this new movie out called top gun. That's how old this book was. Right. And it was written by Sid field, the late great Sid field. And in it, they were interviewing an attorney named Susan Grode and Long story short, uh, uh, an agent in London read my books because my mom managed to get a book to him and said, he contacted me and said, I want to represent you. And I said, great, what do I do? He said, I'm going to send you a contract. Uh, I couldn't read a contract. I didn't go to law school. Uh, So I found this woman's name in a book and I said, well, she's an entertainment attorney. I'll reach out to her. And I literally cold emailed Susan Grode. And I said, hello, Mrs. Grode. My name is Michael Oaken. My family and I own BLS, you know, Global Ground Travel Service. Um, I'm in, in need of an attorney because somebody wants to represent me. Could you help me out? I've written a lot of query letters in my life. Most people don't get back to you. My cell phone rang two seconds after I hit send. Two minutes after I hit send. She said, Michael, this is Susan Grode. Hello, Mrs. Grode. Thank you. I've been a client of your limousine service for 35 years. I said, oh, my God, Mrs. Grode. I, I didn't mean to. I, I didn't use you through BLS. I, I, I read you in, your name in a book. She goes, don't sign with the guy in London. Let me get you a new, a new attorney, a, a, new, a new agent. And, and she introduced me to a, a, my lit agent. And then she eventually introduced me to John. And that's how the relationship formed. Right. Uh, so it comes, by the way, you got, I mean, it's. You know, who are your friends in the world? Who did you grow up with? You know, somebody mm-hmm. might be on the inside, by the way. And then if you're a writer, I would say the best thing in the world is to keep, first of all, is to keep rewriting everything you're doing. No, no, no script is done. <laughs> That's, you know, and, no, and, no. I, and I am always, you know, um, I'm always advising uh, clients to keep writing, rewriting. Just, I said, put it aside. Uh, I just had a conversation with somebody this morning and it was a script that I read in the fall and here we are, you know, end of January, 2021. And I say, you got to rewrite this, polish it off over the weekend, put it to 2021, January, 2021 date on it. Right. You know, keep thinking about it. You, we all grow each day. We've gone, we've grown, we've grown, hopefully wiser and more intuitive and more sensitive as a result of the pandemic. What have we learned? What have we learned about life and loss about the world? Right. How precious everything is in the last year and who are we right now? And how does that through that lens, how do we, if we're going to reread something, how does that make us that much more intuitive and where would we change something that's the absolute truth john as a writer you think that the product is finished but like you you evolve things change times change you change as a person that was and that was my question to you is that why does someone have to keep rewriting 
you from first draft to a hundredth draft. No, it's, it should never be done. It should be right. evolving. There are certain directors that finish a movie and they aren't done with the movie. You know, uh, Francis right. Coppola does, you know, Godfather part three and then comes back to it, you know, years later. Yes. And it becomes, you know, becomes something very different. You know, the fact that, that he initially had cast his daughter Sophia in one of the roles and was lambasted because of it. Um, he uh, comes back to it now that Sophia is a, you know, an important director, writer, director, mm-hmm. how do we all, and our vision of beauty is different than it was when that movie originally, you know, came out in the, um, you know, early, uh, in the eighties, you know, our, we, we, our vision of beauty is different. And we, when you look at Sophia now and how amazing she looks and who she right. is, we're looking at her as a much different creature than when the movie came out and we thought it was going to be Winona Ryder. And now it's Sofia Coppola. And, you know, the fact that she happened to be Francis's daughter, did she get the movie because of that? Well, it didn't really matter. She just, so she's, if you haven't seen the movie, she's trans, transcended, you know, yeah. she's beyond the movie, you know? So again, it's um, always go back to things that's been sitting around for a while. Just think about it again. And then, and just in terms of the packaging, you might be, you know, failure, failure, failure. And then you reread it again and say, oh my God, uh, there's a new star who was just in this movie that's, you know, been the big hit of the summer. Or somebody who's an emerging star and say, how about let's take a chance on that person? Right. Before you go, Mike, I had a, I had a question before we wrap up. What project now, besides Monsterland, are you super excited about? that you're like this if you're is, allowed to answer if, if, if you're, I'm you going to tie, tie, tie it all together okay please everything gets tied together so I'm going to talk about so I was in college and I saw The Godfather and I love The Godfather and uh, I um, I showed the, the you know in fact one night at, at uh, when I was in college I think I saw The Godfather just before college and then, then Godfather 2 gets made and I'm running the film society at Tufts University. And then one night I show Godfather one and then and the double feature in Godfather two. And I'm obsessed with the Godfather. <coughs> Years later, I get to represent Francis Coppola. Is it the most unbelievable thing? I stuck and I and I and I kind of stumbled into it through his the guy who was running his company at the time, became a great friend of mine, Fred Fuchs. And we did so many great things together, including Jim Hart's Dracula, which is a whole, you'll have to have, have me out around for another time. Dracula was you? You did Fritz. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, that, but that's another story. And that's that fine. With, and that has to do with Winona Ryder, which has to do with Godfather 3. <laughs> so anyhow, so um, I get a, uh, I start to get involved with the script about maybe five, six years ago called Francis and the Godfather. Oh my God. I just read this. So Francis and the Godfather was a blacklist script. Again, brilliant writer by the name of Andy Roddy. And um, I got involved with it. And um, I was um, I was an agent at the time and um, started representing Andy. And then I became a manager and the script had been at HBO. 
and it just couldn't find its sea legs. It just didn't, just couldn't find itself. And so the project got popped out of uh, um, HBO and I became, had become a manager by that time. And about a year ago when it popped out, um, uh, a friend of mine from my old days at CA was one of the producers on it. And he came to me and said, can you help us out? And I said, yeah, I can do it. And, but let me be a producer on this as well. So I said, okay, not thinking anything would happen with it. And I came up with this idea uh, that it was, an, and it was actually Andy's idea. We were talking about director. He said, what about Barry Levinson? And I had been on Barry's team wow. back at CAA. And I've been looking forever for something else to do with Barry. And the guy running his company is a fantastic guy named Jason Sosnoff, who had I've been always been looking, you know, always calling him about things. And I call him and say, I think I've got something great for you. It's about Francis Coppola, the most independent filmmaker in the world. He had, and he uh, and he's just about to lose his company because everything is going belly up and the, 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 um, literally the people were taking stuff out of, out of American Zotrope. He's got a, a he's got a right-hand guy, um, by the name of George Lucas. And it's kind of a little bit of Don Quixote and Sancho Panza. Right. And, and, and Francis is very much Don Quixote, you know, and, um, Paramount Pictures calls him up. They've got a, a, a book not quite out yet, but it, they, they think it's going to be great. And Paramount is, is on its, its last legs, its last breaths. And this producer comes to uh, producer, um, head of the studio, Robert Evans, comes to him and says, I want you to do this Italian gangster movie. And Francis nearly passes out. He says, I'm a, it's, this is disgusting. It's horrible for Italians. But his wife says, look at this, the book again and find something that you love in it. And he said, and he came back and he says, it's about family. So he agrees to do the movie. And then it's everything, all the, the things that happen prevent, you know, from the studio wanting Ryan, Ryan O'Neill to play Michael Corleone to Ernest Borgnine wanting to play uh, um, uh, Don Corleone to Danny Thomas was going to buy Paramount so he could play the role. You know, it's like crazy stuff. And it's a Shakespearean drama because Robert Evans is kind of Hamlet and there is an Iago in his world who is trying to destroy him, Frankie Blondes. So that's the script. So who's, do you have who's, who's going to... Uh, well, I went to Barry Levington and Barry fell in love with it. And then Barry uh, has an agent at WME. And this agent said, I represent Oscar Isaac. And he went to Oscar Isaac to play Francis. And then he went also to another client at WME, Jake Gyllenhaal to play um, Evans. They're gonna win Oscars, those two. So this, we're it's... putting this together. As we, as we speak, this is the, if there it's is a dream project, if there's, you know, you know, we'll, We'll see what happens. We're, we're close. We're not there yet. You know, John and then, and then in the irony of it all. So you've got this, put this great thing together, this amazing thing together. And then one day you're reading your, your online and there's a, there's a ping that comes up deadline. 
and you, you've heard about something else being developed about the Godfather. And in fact, it's a mini series about the making of the Godfather, but not from Francis' point of view, from another guy's point of view. Okay. And suddenly Army Hammer is the actor, not playing Francis, but playing this other guy, Al Ruddy. And you go, oh my God. So you're in the middle of this thing and suddenly this thing you've put together that is brilliant, gorgeous, amazing. Oh my God, fantastic. Right. And somebody has taken your little baby and taken a machete and is about to slice your, 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 your little baby up. And so what do you do? You take your baby and you wrap your baby up and you do everything possible to go to protect your baby. And that's, you know, that's what I do. I protect babies all the day, all my babies all day long. John, you, you won an Oscar, correct? For the breadwinner? No, we were, the, the picture was nominated for an Oscar. It was nominated, so it didn't win an Oscar. No, no. Okay. How did you uh, do the breadwinner, which was an amazing animated film, by the way? Well, I'm again, probably too long for- Too so long? So we'll, do, we'll do John Levin part we two. Do, we, do, we do part two. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but that, and there's a lovely story for that as well. Again, I would it, love to hear it. I would love to hear you that. You know, how people get involved with things. Do you know Sid Gannis? I know, the lovely guy, great guy. Yeah, we interviewed Sid. He's a fantastic guy. Maybe part two would be Sid. Sid Gannis was okay. part of Zotra. He was part of Francis's Zotra. Yep. Yeah. And when we put together Dracula, it was Sid Gannis who was at Columbia Pictures at the time, <laughs> who really helped make it happen. Yeah. So there's really- a, that's why I brought that up. We should get John and Sid on at the same yes, time. He's beyond the lovely guy. Yeah. One of the loveliest guys. Both of you. I mean, really and truly, John, from the bottom of my heart, you know, it, it's been amazing knowing you. And thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, guys, the brothers. The brothers <laughs> Oaken, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're like, we um you're like the you're like the cones and the safties and working on it. We're, we're know, trying. And uh, the Russo brothers. Absolutely. It's we're, great. We're, we're putting in our 20 years. You know, okay, good, good. And you've, uh, and as the more movies that, that get back on track, the more people have to go to the, you know, yeah. go to the movies and the more people who are making the movies, they use, you know, BLS and the more, and, and if you're going to an airport or wherever you're going, you got to ride that BLS. Right? John, it, it's sure. the trifecta, man. We're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to do the we're production. All, we're all connected. We we're all, all have to be, you know, praying and hoping and doing good and wearing our masks everyone. yes for sure yeah uh, did you get vaxxed did you get vaxxed yet i got vaxxed uh good. last uh thursday so good congrats good. congrats on, on, on the road john you can, you can wrap it up mike and I'll do, I'll do one other plug on uh for, another, for a movie that i am i got to be an executive producer on sure it's the number one picture on netflix right now again it had was that midnight sky no, it's uh, no, it's a it's a picture that uh, RZA directed uh, called Cutthroat City. Wow! It's written by a fantastic writer, Paul Cushieri. and uh, there's another story behind that too. Because behind every behind every story is a story. So, do you think there's going to be a flood? Uh, like once the gates open, John, do you think that it's going to be like bye 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 bye? It's going to be like the Roaring Twenties again? No, it's, no, it's 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 already bye bye bye. It, it's okay. It's already it's very competitive right now. There's a lot of material out there. It's right. I think it becomes more competitive. I think that it, that that the more stuff that's out there, the more the studios have 
to choose from. But at the same time, it's everybody wants to watch something good on a Thursday night, you know? Right. Right. So, I'll never forget when you read Monsling, you said this has to be a theme park. So yeah. hopefully, yeah. Uh, you know, that's where it's going to end up going. Good. Yeah. Anyhow, thank you guys. John, thank, thank you. you. We're going to sign off right now. Hang on one second. We're going to log off. Everyone like subscribe, go watch John's movies. Just basically watch all the eighties and nineties movies. John had his hand in it. And, and monitor to go watch, check out star girl on Disney plus. I mean, that's, that's amazing to get in, you know, to get content into Disney because they're like a, a, a fortress. Fort yeah. They're, they're a castle, no pun intended. But thank you guys. Go and uh, and uh, go watch the new morning show season coming up. Uh, oh, the leader whose birthday it is today. Happy birthday, Mimi. And um, is the morning show on? It's on Apple. Uh, season two is on. Uh, it's on Apple. You can watch the, if you haven't watched the old season. Watch it now. And the first uh, season was unbelievable. That was some of the best TV I've ever seen. You were you did that? Well, I represent Mimi. So uh, oh, okay. All right. Of course you did. Of course you did. John, uh, and can, where can people find you? Do you have like a Twitter, Instagram, anything like that? No, don't, don't, you know, you can find me just, you know, in, you know, in everybody's dreams, you know. I'll find you on Oakham Bros. John, yeah. thank you for, uh, thanks for coming in. Everybody, please like and subscribe. We're going to sign off now. Hang out, hang out for one minute. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.